0: certainly be a lot of job disruption Um, because what's going to happen is robots will be able to do everything better than us. I mean all of us. There's like something like 12% of jobs are transport. Transport will be one of the first things to go fully autonomous. But when I say everything, like the robots will be able to do everything. I have exposure to the very very most cutting edge um, AI and I think people should be really concerned about it. AI is a fundamental existential risk for human civilization.
1: That, of course, was Elon Musk, a strong voice in the movement to limit the negative impacts of AI on society. And he's not alone. He, along with the late Stephen Hawking, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, and thousands of scientists and luminaries have shared misgivings about the social, political, and economic impacts of AI, including its effect on employment. Are they just technology fatalists? In the previous episode, we explored the impact of AI on employment from an optimistic perspective. We heard from people like Amit Joshi and Bill Gates, both of whom predicted a future where AI would take away many of the undesirable jobs from humans, freeing us up for more added value activities. They acknowledged that jobs would be lost, but predicted that they would be replaced with new, better jobs, some of which we can't even imagine today.
0: It's often easier to see existing jobs being disrupted by new technologies than to envision what new jobs the technology will enable, right? Who could have predicted virtual reality world designers, web marketers, or data scientists uh, just a few decades ago? So from that perspective, AI, far from being a threat, could become one of the largest job creation engines in history.
1: That's Thierry Donogollenser, Senior Director of Product Management for Einstein, which is Salesforce's AI offering. He sounded very much like an AI optimist just then, but he also raises the possibility that our positive experiences with technology and employment in the past may not repeat themselves as easily when it comes to AI.
0: There's another side of the argument which points out that this one might be different for a few reasons. Uh, One reason is its breadth. AI is entering almost all industries at the same time and around the world at the same time as well. Also its speed. Previous technological revolutions took decades or centuries to unfold, giving more time for humans to adapt. Oftentimes it was from one generation to the next, literally. This one seems to be happening a lot faster. So the same person may have to adapt, or even several times in one person's lifetime. Also, its scale. So the AI revolution is not coming out of nowhere, right? It's building on top of previous technological advances, such as the internet, big data, automation. It's in a fully connected world, and that expands its reach, potentially. Also, there's the impact part of it. Uh, While previous technological advances mostly addressed low-skill manual work, AI is impacting high-skill cognitive work, kind of like for the first time really.
1: There are some very good reasons to believe that the future will not repeat the past, at least not in how we engage with AI. It's advancing quickly, and there are very few cognitive tasks that couldn't be impacted. We see lots of digital technologies that have the power to disrupt, like augmented reality, blockchain, and the Internet of Things. But their impact is relatively focused on specific use cases. AI is kind of a meta-disruptor. It can certainly cause disruption by itself, but it can also amplify the disruptive power of other technologies. Cars that drive themselves are impressive. But cars that become better drivers every kilometer they drive, plus every kilometer that every other AI-enabled car drives, now that's a lot more impressive.
2: AI will increasingly replace repetitive jobs, not just for blue-collar work, but a lot of white-collar work. Chauffeurs, truck drivers, uh, anyone who does driving for a living, uh, their jobs will be disrupted more in the 15 to 20-year time frame. And many jobs that seem a little bit complex, uh, chef, uh, waiter, uh, a lot of things will become automated. We'll have automated stores, uh, automated restaurants, and all together in 15 years, that's going to uh, displace uh, about 40% of jobs in the world.
1: That's AI author and former head of Google China, Kai-Fu Lee, on the TV show 60 Minutes talking about the potentially devastating effect of AI on employment. Could we really see 40% of jobs lost in 15 years? Let's look at the world from the point of view of horses. 120 years ago... Horses had pretty miserable lives. They had to pull heavy loads all day, they wore blinders, and they mostly worked in dirty, smoky surroundings. That all changed, of course, with the invention and commercialization of the automobile. Better technology will make better jobs for horses. And that happened. Very few horses pull heavy loads along dirty streets today, at least not in the developed world they're more likely to be seen cantering around the countryside, enjoying healthy food and being adored by girls and boys. It's hard to argue against the fact that for horses, technology has been a good thing. Who wouldn't want to have the life of an average horse today? However, let's look at the number of horses. Could you guess when the horse population peaked? In the United States, it was 1915 when there were 26.5 million of them. The population of horses dropped steadily over the subsequent decades, reaching a low of 2 million in 1992. It has since grown to 3.6 million today. The lives of horses may have improved, but only about one-seventh of them are left to enjoy it. Could the same be true for humans? I listened to a documentary recently, and there was a segment on AI-enabled surgical robots that operated in hospitals. Not in the future, but right now. And a quote from one of the surgeons stuck with me. Normally, I do about 150 cases
2: of hysterectomies, let's say. And uh, now, most of them are done robotically. I do maybe one open case a year. So
0: do I feel uncomfortable? Of course I do feel uncomfortable, because I don't remember
2: how to open
1: patients anymore. It's clear that not all jobs will disappear, at least not right away. But as Kai-Fu Lee mentioned, when they do, it probably won't just be low-end jobs that are replaced. We tell our kids to be doctors, but even surgeons may be at risk. Thierry Donogollenser sees lots of cases where advanced jobs may be replaced by robots and AI, even in the short term, while some low-end jobs will be safe.
0: So we can think, first of all, at what are the characteristics of jobs that will be replaced or are likely to be replaced by AI in the short term. And I think it will start with jobs that we can do, but that AI in the form of either software or smart physical machines basically what we call robots right can do better a good example of this is manufacturing manufacturing has already been largely automated right we occasionally buy handmade toys and clothes but you probably feel a lot less safe driving a handmade car 100 kilometers per hour down the highway right you probably like want as few humans as possible to have touched your car interestingly there's a conception that ai can currently only tackle simple tasks right and that humans can handle more complex tasks, right? That's a divide. But actually, it's not exactly the case. So for example, flying an airplane is a highly complex task, right? Yet today, planes fly on autopilot for most of the journey. Now, we still have pilots. We like to have pilots. They take over for short periods of time, but mostly planes fly on their own. And in fact, actually, there's been a few examples of cases where humans took over and made the mistake and created the, the crash, right? So what appears to be a complex job for a human can be quite easy for an AI and vice versa. Conversely, what you would think might be a so-called simple task, like preparing burgers at your local fast food, is actually super hard for an AI to do, right? You have to consider, for example, understanding the order with special instructions, you know, you want this, you don't want the other, always in a noisy environment. And then all the complex physical actions that are required to put it together, grab the ingredients, flip it at the right time, cook it, right, actually, it's not easy.
1: There's something else that's a cause for concern, our quest for the good life. The number of hours we work has dropped steadily since 1900, when the average working week was about 65 hours. Today, in most industrialized countries, it's less than 40. Human labor productivity growth, too, fell by half between 2005 and 2015, compared with the previous 10 years. We're working less, and our productivity growth is falling. Are we making ourselves too easy to replace? The Industrial Revolution was about the replacement of physical labor. Machines were developed that were stronger, faster, and more precise than humans. So millions of physical jobs were replaced by industrial machines in the 18th, 19th, and early 20th centuries. But that turned out to be okay because we developed a vibrant service and knowledge economy to replace them. The bulk of human employment shifted from a reliance on the body to a reliance on the mind. Then, in the mid-20th century, computers were invented, and we started to see job losses for cognitive tasks, but mostly only at the low level, like transcribing, copying, and simple bookkeeping. That was okay, too, because the knowledge economy was creating jobs at the higher end faster than they were being replaced at the lower end. Computers and humans were living together in relative harmony. However, as AI gets more advanced and high-level cognitive jobs are starting to be replaced, we may have more difficulty finding new ones. When machines replaced our bodies, we still had our minds. But if they replace our bodies and our minds, what's left? So you can have your haircut done by a robot for for really, really cheap, or you can have a barber that can do the exact same haircut, maybe less well. But it'll be a sign of prestige, it's a prestige product. So there'll probably always be some demand, even in the science fiction realm where AI can do absolutely everything, for some human kinds of jobs. That's my IMD colleague, Amit Joshi. We heard from him in part one. He thinks there will always be a role for human jobs, even if AI can do the same things. As Thierry Donald noted earlier, there is still a market today for handmade toys. There's an argument about whether super intelligent AI will ever be able to replace human emotion and creativity in the workplace in fields like the arts and caregiving. Let's put that argument aside for one moment and accept that AI will never match humans in these fields. How many jobs will there be left? Can we employ our entire global population as caregivers, artists, toy makers and hairdressers? I'm not so sure. Like Amit Joshi, I'm an AI realist. And it seems to me that many jobs will be replaced by AI in the future for similar reasons that they were replaced in the first Industrial Revolution – Instead of being stronger, faster, and more precise than us in physical work, AI systems will be smarter, more hardworking, less prone to mistakes, and of course, cheaper than us in knowledge work. This may not happen for a while, but it will happen. AI is going to get better. So, how should we respond? Let me address this question from two perspectives. First, individual what can you personally do to prepare? And second, societal, or what can governments and other policy-making bodies do about it on a macro scale? In the longer term, artificial general intelligence and potentially artificial superintelligence are going to put all jobs at risk. But for the short to medium term, it's artificial narrow intelligence that we have to worry about the most. And we can protect ourselves from that threat by practicing career agility. Rather than view the first part of our lives as the learning phase and the second part as the doing phase, we need to shift to a mindset of lifelong learning where we're constantly seeking to learn and improve ourselves. In the past, people trained to become experts. These are so-called I people because of their expertise was narrow and deep like the letter I. Going forward, this is a vulnerable strategy. I people are vulnerable because if their expertise is replicated by an AI, then they have very little to fall back on. Then there are T people. T people are those who have some expertise, perhaps a university degree in something, but also a broad range of other skills and experiences, hence the top part of the letter T. They're more flexible than I people and can be moved around to other jobs if the need arises. But in the future, I suspect that the most successful people will be M people. These are folks who have multiple areas of expertise, not necessarily super deep, but credible. For example, someone I know started out as an electrical engineer before moving into sales and marketing, then obtained additional training in business analytics, and is now in product management. These are career pragmatists who shift between roles to build a broad base of experience rooted in multiple areas of specialization. Clearly, there are some things that we can do to prepare as individuals, but we're going to need help. What can we do on a macro level? When it comes to society, there's a lot that can be done to prepare for the upcoming shifts caused by AI. Here again is Thierry Dolo-Golenser.
0: If it is the case that in the future, fewer people are employed, how do we value everyone's place in society, right? Um, you know, today, it's done overwhelmingly based on economic value. You know, that's basically how we, you know, we pay people, how we consider people in society. But, you know, we have to think about human value to society in a much broader way than this. Uh, Otherwise, society will implode. You know, we keep saying we're going to create new jobs. But the jobs that will be created may not be in the same areas of the world than those that are destroyed. For example, if taxi drivers disappear in Paris, right, and are replaced by automated vehicles managed, you know, from San Jose, California, the money and the jobs, you know, goes from Paris to San Jose. And that does not help, you know, those French workers that just lost their job, right?
1: This could be bad for taxi drivers in Paris, but it's likely it could be even worse for low-paid workers in developing countries, millions of whom are employed in sectors that could be swiftly lost to automation, like call centers or textile factories. And even in areas where AI creates new jobs for humans, another big societal problem may be looming.
0: Also, some of the new jobs being created, they may be less stable than before. So how do we reconcile these with our social system, you know, that often require full-time employees, basically, you know, paying throughout their life into a medical and a retirement system in a consistent and predictable way? You know, what happens when most of the workforce is not uh, doing this? How do we actually make this system work, right, in the long term?
1: There's a lot to be done by governments, but the problem as I see it is that they're not paying much attention to these questions. They are understandably much more concerned with the pressing issues of the day and less focused on problems that may crop up down the road. But AI is an unstoppable force. It's not going to slow down unless there is a concerted effort to slow it down. But then that's not the objective either. There are many positive applications of AI that we want to encourage. There's no question, however, that we have to think about and prepare for the impact that AI may have on employment. Governments can do a lot more to prepare the workforces for the next generation of jobs. Most of our colleges and universities are still very much rooted in the 20th century focus on acquiring knowledge. The assumption behind this focus was that knowledge would be able to give people a competitive advantage in the job market. Think back to your own education. How many of you learn by rote memorization? Today, however, we can never know as much as Google or Wikipedia knowledge by itself is a lot less valuable than it used to be. However, the ability to capture, synthesize, and apply new knowledge will continue to be valuable. You don't necessarily need to know it, but you need to know where to find it, and most importantly, what to do with it. Unfortunately, few schools at any level of the education system today have made the shift from teaching knowledge to teaching how to learn. Thierry Donogollenser from Salesforce describes it this way.
0: Our education system will have to evolve fast to adapt to the changes in the job market. And historically, like education has a, lot, has a lot been around learning skills, basically, core knowledge that you then use throughout your career. But here, you know, because things change so much, you know, what you learn uh, today, like in a few years might not be helpful at all. So it's more about learning how to be creative, you know, learning how to learn, basically. So that's actually quite a shift, I think, for, you know, the education system. And then the last bit, more like a philosophical, is we need to think a bit about the, the place of work in our society, you know, in general. Because forever, like, you know, humans have kind of defined themselves by their work. You know, like sometimes one of the first questions someone asks you is like, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? Like, you know, what do you do? What's your occupation, basically, right?
1: If we define ourselves by the jobs we have and those jobs disappear, we risk making a lot of people very unhappy. We saw a glimpse of what this might look like after the financial crisis of 2008 to 2010, when high youth unemployment across many parts of Europe, Africa and the Middle East led to mass demonstrations. Can governments work to convince people not to place so much of their own self-worth into the jobs they have? The responsibility, of course, doesn't just lie with them. It lies with all of us. Let me conclude on a couple of optimistic notes. When we reflect back on the COVID-19 pandemic, it wasn't AI that found the treatments, developed the vaccines, or provided the care. It was good old-fashioned humans. In increasingly uncertain and unpredictable environments, we're going to have to rely more on humans and less on machines for one simple reason. Even the best AIs today need data. And the more data they have, the better the predictions they can make. When things change, data from the past becomes less valuable. The COVID-19 pandemic was unprecedented, and so AI struggled to find answers due to a lack of training data. If we assume that the world is going to get less predictable, not more, that suggests that there will still be a role for humans to navigate the uncertainty. So in summary, yes, AI is most likely going to have a major impact on employment. And yes, we should be concerned. But there are legitimate questions about when this will happen. Artificial general intelligence is probably not going to arrive until mid-century, but that doesn't mean that we won't see the impacts on employment before then. We do have a pretty good idea of the types of jobs that are going to disappear first. Bookkeepers, telemarketers, receptionists, retail salespeople. We also have a decent idea about the types of jobs that are relatively safe, like software developers, nurses, burger flippers, and sales managers. But most jobs fall somewhere in the middle, The job itself may not disappear, at least not right away, but tasks within the job may be automated. Then there's a different way of looking at AI and its impact on employment. Here again is AI expert and author Kai-Fu Lee, who likes to think of AI
2: as a kind of helpful reminder about what's really important in life. The week after I found I had lymphoma, after I've had my going through the phase of uh, denial, um, why me? Uh, making my deal with God, uh, writing my will. Then I came to realize that my life was, uh, had my priorities all upside down, that in the whatever remaining days that I had, uh, continuing to work was no longer something I wanted to do. Um, that much more important was loving the people I love, giving back love to the people who loved me, and uh, pursuing things that I'm passionate about. It's not about working harder, making more money, becoming more famous. And and it was that realization and that process that got me to think, aren't these routine job workers in the same state that I am in, that we were all brainwashed by the industrial revolution value, that our work equals the meaning of our life. And perhaps AI is a wake-up call for us to realize that there is something else.
1: AI is coming, and there are plenty of ways we can prepare ourselves. As governments, we can regulate the more dangerous aspects of AI, like weaponization. We can rebuild our education systems to focus more on learning to learn and extracting value from new knowledge. And we can reallocate gains from AI to subsidize those people who are most impacted. As individuals, we can focus on building a broad range of skills and competencies, practice career agility, and adopt a strategy of lifelong learning. But perhaps most importantly, we can stop worrying so much about the jobs we have now and may or may not have in the future, and spend more time doing the things that we really want to do with the people that we really want to do them with. If AI takes away our jobs, which is already happening today, let's consider it an opportunity to free ourselves from overwork and take time to pursue our passions, like listening to podcasts. You've been listening to Management Under the Microscope, written and presented by me, Michael Wade, and produced by Pete Norton. We're a production of the IMD Business School in Lausanne, Switzerland, one of the world's leading providers of insights and education for executives. To find out more about the school and to read our new magazine, I by IMD, which has pieces on everything from the post-pandemic future of the workplace to the social cost of video gaming, follow the links in the show notes of this episode. Next week, we'll be turning our attention to a mantra that has assumed a near religious status in the corporate world, culture eats strategy for breakfast. To see if it holds water, we'll hear arguments from both culture and strategy specialists and we'll examine case studies from the New York City subway system to Microsoft to post-pandemic hotel chains. Hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to this to be sure to hear the episode as soon as it comes out. And finally, If you're enjoying this show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. To make this easy, we've included a link in the show notes which will bring you straight to our page on Apple Podcasts. From there, all you have to do is tap the stars to rate us. And if you want to leave a review suggesting topics you'd like to hear covered in a future series of the show, please do. We read them all. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us for the next edition of Management Under the Microscope.